Welcome to Anecdotes for Success with Matt and Paul. Storytelling is an art form, emphasizing the value and learning that is created through personal experience. Our purpose is to share these stories and experiences with the listener. Everyone has a powerful testimony. Let's use them to level up to our best life with truth, meaning, trade-offs, and perspective. Big shout out to Isaac Mather for the new podcast intro. You can check Isaac's music out on all socials or directly at IsaacMatherMusic.com. Yes. Sounds good to me. Well, because everything you say is very important. Right? <laughs> you know, I think that there's uh, there's definitely some open interpretation to that. <laughs> yeah. No, but hey, welcome, Matt. Uh, why don't you just start off? Tell them what you do, your philosophy, any way you want to go, and then we'll start asking questions. We'll do it for about 25 minutes or so. Yeah, sounds great. Well, th- uh, thanks for having me, and, uh, you know, great to see everybody here. I Let's see. I'll, I'll start with just a, a real brief overview, and then, you know, we can kind of take it from there. But um, I started my journey as a young a kid who grew up in a very active neighborhood and I used to go outside and play football in the streets, basketball in driveways. Um, I used to play, you know, I used to wrestle on lawns and I used to go home when the streetlights came on. So that was my upbringing. And I did that for the first 10 years of my life, was surrounded by a bunch of really great kids who were keeping me active and engaged in this kind of thing. And um, after about, when I turned about 10 or 11 years old, the neighborhood I grew up in started getting kind of bad. Uh, there was some gang violence, shootings, things like this. And so my parents uh, decided to move. And so we moved into a new neighborhood. And when we got there, it was the exact opposite of what I was used to seeing. So there were no kids outside playing. Uh, there was essentially a retirement neighborhood is essentially what I, I look at it as. And so, you know, everybody's just in their house and the houses are quiet and the neighborhoods are quiet and so literally nothing to do so for the first time in my life at like 11 years old I started playing video games inside and I never played video games up until this point and so uh, because of that and because it was at the beginning of summer at the end of a school year I didn't have anyone outside I didn't really have any way of like making friends and this kind of thing so um, after an entire summer of playing video games and then going back to school and and you know kind of just slowly easing back into things I started, you know, gaining a bunch of weight at this point. So, you know, I'm 11, I'm 12 years old, you know, becoming self-conscious, not really knowing who I am or like, you know, what, how I want to define myself. And then one day I was driving down the road with my mom and there was this uh, sign, there's like this martial arts sign with a kicking guy on it. And when I saw that sign, I immediately was drawn to it. I don't know why, but something pulled me to it. And I asked my mom if I could go. And of course, my mom's like, you know, I don't know. I don't want you to have to fight people. I'm just, I don't want you to have to like spar the sensei. And she's like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, mom, come on, let me, let me try it out. Right. So I eventually convinced her to take me and, and try this martial art class out. And it was, um, I walked into the school and what I saw was essentially like the epitome of who I wanted to become. Like I saw people that were just like, I saw these, you know, martial artists that were just like strong and they spoke with conviction and they were just intense and all the things I wanted, like from, from watching, um, you know, the, the shows I watched as a kid watching Ninja Turtles or Power Rangers or whatever it was. Right. But anyway, so 
um, I saw the epitome of who I wanted to become kind of embodied. I didn't know it at the time, but I kind of saw that in, in the instructors um, at the school. And so anyway, so that was my, that was my in to self-improvement world. Right. So I started taking martial art classes, fell in love with it. I started going every, pretty much every day of the week. Uh, I came to every class I possibly could come to. I learned from every instructor I could learn from. Um, I got there early. I stayed late. I started taking classes above my level. Um, and then I started volunteering to help other classes. Right. And so I was all in. And this was pretty much the, um, how I spent all my downtime. I mean, as soon as I got home from school, I would, I would get home. I would throw my backpack on the ground, forget about homework. And I would just go right to the martial arts school. Right. And then that was just, that was it. So I all in trained hard, worked hard. I found a way that I could kind of cultivate myself into that, that vision that I saw when I walked into the school and that was kind of my start into, like I said, self-improvement and personal development. Because from there, once I started helping other classes and once I started volunteering and doing this kind of thing, I was starting to get asked questions I didn't know how to answer, right? So I'm like 13, you know, 14 years old at this point. And, I'm, you know, I, I get my black belt at 14 and I start teaching and I start having parents talk to me about their kids. And so I got parents coming up to me and asking me, like, you know, what? You know, what do I do? My kid's getting bullied at school and I'm 14. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't have an answer for that. I'm 14. So I had to like, kind of like come up with something and, you know, just talk about whatever I could figure out. And then I had parents coming in and ask me questions about, you know, what they have, like the challenges they got going on in their own lives. Like, how do I, you know, build an exercise habit or like, how do I, you know, make myself better? I even had parents come in and, and ask me like, you know, relationship advice. And it's like, I'm 14. Like, I don't know the answer to the questions you're asking me. Right. So that kind of, but I didn't like that. I didn't like not knowing what to say. So that was a spark in my mind of like, okay, I could probably, I should probably figure something out. So I started, you know, looking into other resources. I started reading, you know, self-improvement books and I started, you know, kind of diving into the path of, of self-improvement I remember the first book I ever read was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And that was like when I was like 14, 15 years old, I read that book. And I remember finishing that book and just like my mind was just blown. I was like, everything that could ever be said about self-improvement is in that book. And I just, because I had no other context, just blown away. And so I took a lot of those lessons and I started applying them to the classes and I started, you know, sharing them with the kids um, that I was teaching and this kind of thing, right? Some of the adult students that I met. So fast forward and, you know, fast forward maybe nine years, 10 years. And this is when I was in college. Um, I decided to go to college, by the way, just so I could become a better martial art instructor. Again, when I say all in, I mean, I was all in. So I went to school. I took like uh, I started with entrepreneurship. Then I transferred and I started doing business and then psychology and philosophy and all this kind of stuff just so I could have better concepts to teach. And then eventually what I did was I took a physical education core. Right. So. I went to college for, I, I took a phys ed core. I dropped every class that had to do with sports. So I dropped football, baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, all of it. So any, all the, all the, the different, you know, ways to teach these sports in schools were dropped. And I plugged in health and human performance, exercise, science, philosophy, psychology. It was all just so I could become a better teacher. So I got, that was my, that was my college experience. But in college, I also started curating my own quotes, right? So I, I would take, 
uh, quotes from different websites or from different books I read, and I would captive, I would, I would uh, capture them, upload them, and then I would tag them and I would index them, and that was the start of a uh, a journey of building this kind of quote catalog, this quote library um, that's called Move Me Quotes. So Move Me Quotes, I founded in 2010. Um, I built this website. And it was, again, just supposed to be like a, a, a digital library that captured, you know, resources for people, for myself primarily, um, that I could reference later and that they could reference. And so I built lists. Uh, I built like, uh, I, I captured like short stories. And, um, you know, that's how I learned how to like do SEO, how to build websites, how to do marketing, all that kind of stuff. So that was where I would kind of build myself up because one thing I learned is that as much as I uploaded to that website to share with people and to help other people with their own mindsets, it helped nobody more than it helped me because I was the one that was capturing all of them and uploading the quotes to this website every day. And I still do upload quotes to the website. And um, that's where I build a lot of the things like the digital products that I sell that I sell online go and, and are housed on that website. But so that has been something that I've been building ever since just to kind of help curate my own mindsets, help other people curate their mindsets, to help combat maybe a lot of the opposite that's being shared in today's world. So there's that. And then fast forward um, to about to January 1st of 2020. And I got to this point of saturation where up until this point, now, again, I started martial art training in 2001. I don't think I said that, but uh, April 11th of 2001 is when I started my martial art training. All in. Um, I was in college 07 to 11, right? So that's that that time frame. Fast forward to um, Move Me Quotes. That's That was October 10th of 2010. So on 10-10-10, that's when I started Move Me Quotes. And then fast forward to January 1st of 2020. It took me all that time to get to a point where I felt like I, I actually had something to say myself. Um, I was always, you know, dealing with imposter syndrome, this feeling like, who am I like to share things online? I mean, that's one of the things about running a quote website. You know, you upload quotes from Tony Robbins and Osho and Steve Jobs and Oprah, and you upload these quotes from people, Martin Luther King. And then, you know, it's like, what am I going to say compared to them? Right? Like, who am I to offer insider ideas or write or elaborate on things that these guys have said? So I didn't. I didn't write anything myself. I didn't share any of my own personal thoughts. I just shared quotes and other people's thoughts. But on January 1st, something happened where I just I just kind of had this overflowing where I was like, I, I feel like I want to start something, right? So what I did was I just took a quote and then I wrote three paragraphs of my own thoughts on that quote. And I just posted it to Facebook at the time. And I just, at the very bottom, I didn't make any announcement. I didn't say anything about it. I just put one out of 365, right? Just, I was like, you know, let me just try this. I'm not going to make a big deal. Let me just see if I can do it. Did the same thing the next day, the next day, the next day. And I started writing. And I just started every day taking a quote and writing something about it. And um, it got to a point where, you know, I, I almost felt like, again, dealing with imposter syndrome is no joke. Again, it took me 10 years after starting moving quotes to get to the point of actually being able to write something myself. But even when I started writing myself, what was interesting to me is that I almost felt like I had to convince not only other people, but myself that I could write. And so I was writing these really, really long essays. I mean, I was writing like, uh, like, like one, like 1000 to 2000 words a day. And I was posting them, you know, just in addition to everything else I was doing just because, right. There was no incentive to do this. So one to 2,000 word essays a day for 365 days. And sometimes they got longer than that. 
and it was just way too much. And it was just, it was a, a really hard effort, but it taught me a lot. And so at the end of this first year, 365, I kept going. And eventually I think I got to like day 400 or day 500 of writing every day when I was like too much, can't do it anymore. So I'm just going to switch this. And so what I changed was instead of doing these huge long essays, I gave myself a constraint. And so I told myself, I'm not going to write indefinitely for this huge, these huge long essays. Cause I, I don't think people want to read that much as much as I want to write that much. I think it's, it's a double negative. So I decided to switch it and I added the constraint and I did, I made myself do 280 words or less. Cause I figured it takes like, that's how long it takes to about one minute. It takes to read about 280 words, right? Give or take. So that was my constraint. And I got that idea from Twitter because Twitter at the time was 280 characters or less. So I was like, all right, I'm going to 280 words or less. And then I started doing that. And it's been a magnificent change ever since because I've been able to sustain that, you know, upwards of 1200 days now that I've been writing every day. And, and it's just been way better because now I have this blog, right? And on this blog, I write these 280 word or less essays. Um, and I've been sharing it for that long. And what happened is because I've been doing that and because I've been finding my voice and I've been capturing these ideas, um, I've been able to curate them into digital products, like I said before. And that's kind of the avenue that I'm you know, really focused on online. I still do martial arts full time, but this kind of like side endeavor has been really valuable for me because what I've been able to do is I've been able to capture um, these you know, small ideas, uh, organize them into a way that's coherent, that makes sense. And it answers a specific question or a specific problem. And I put them out as digital books and sell them online. And then that leads to coaching. That's going to lead to video courses. That's going to lead to pretty much everything else that you could imagine doing online that, you know, allows you for location independence and be able to do whatever you want to do. So that's been my avenue. That's kind of been the trajectory, um, you know, I, I try to keep it concise and, and just give you guys a couple of the overview ideas. And I'd be happy to kind of dive into any one of them, if any of them are more interesting to you guys or talk about anyone uh, more specifically. But that's the gist um, as far as who I am and where I'm at. And I'll turn it back over to Coach. Any questions right now? You want me to break the ice? All right. Teenagers don't quite wake up till about 11, Matt. No worries. I'm, I've been there. Uh, you currently still teach martial arts, correct? I do full time. Yep. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, sure. So, um, like I said, I went all in on martial arts, and when I did, um, I found myself really drawn to the idea of giving back to others what I was able to get myself because of how much it impacted me and because how much of uh, of it. Uh, a difference it made in my own life and being able to answer questions for people or being able to um, help kids build themselves up was really empowering for me, I guess. Um, so my typical day, if I was going to give you a day in the life, um, right after this uh, conversation, I'm going to be going into the school. Uh, I usually do about two hours in the mornings. And that's the time when I'll make class plans. I'll, you know, draw out curriculum maps. I'll contact students, send out emails, uh, do maybe do some basic marketing stuff, follow up with anybody who needs follow up. It's just kind of administrative stuff in the daytime. In the evening, uh, there's five classes a night usually. Uh, we are 
after school hours, right? So that's when our martial arts school is most busy is from the hours of like 3.30 to 9.30. That's when we do most of our stuff. So that's when we're all on. And before the classes start, there's usually private lessons. So students that maybe need extra help or want to do extra training or they want to learn specific material, they can come in, you know, anytime before 3.30. They'll come at 3 to 3.30, maybe half hour lessons and just learn specifically information catered to them. Then at like 3.40, I'll do like instructor training. So I'll, I'll work with one of my instructors. I'll just do one-on-one -on -one training with them and maybe help them build their own skills up, you know, talk about something that I think is relevant or something that they need to, um, you know, think about or improve or some things that they've been doing really great. And we'll spend a half hour just, you know, developing their skills. At top of the hour, four o'clock, we have a team meeting where all the people that are teaching that day just get together and get on the same page. We're like, all right, this is the class plan. These are the things we need to be aware of. These are the timely things, timely matters, blah, blah. So that usually takes about 10 minutes. Uh, first class starts at about 4.15 on weekdays. Um, and then it's just 45-minute classes. So it's like, you know, first class, second class, third class, fourth class. Uh, I have a staff of maybe around 10, um, you know, part-time martial art instructors. Uh, a lot of, you know, students that are, or a lot of instructors that are your age, probably in your grade level and people who have been training martial arts at the school uh, since they were kids. And that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, the school and the way it works is that if you are consistent and you, and you work hard and you become a leader, you get, essentially we only hire students, right? And so students that start with us when they're three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, you know, after training for three, four, five, six years, they get into high school, college, whatever. And then that's when we look to hire. And we only hire students because, the students are the ones who are, who know our curriculum best and who better to pay that curriculum for than them. So, you know, a lot of my staff are students that are your age and they're the ones who do a lot of the teaching for the lower rank classes, right? So I'll give them a curriculum. We do the staff training. They they teach the classes. I'll overview to make sure that everything's being done properly and make sure the, the information is being conveyed appropriately. And, and then I'll usually teach the advanced classes. So I'll usually teach... Like the um, we have a junior advanced class, which is for the the kids who have been training for four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. That's the first class, and then the second class I'll teach is the adult class, which is for all ages and all belt levels. And so it's a, a pretty big class, maybe 40, 50 people. Um, and you know that's the one I'll teach um, in the evening. So I usually teach about ten classes a week myself. My staff teach the other whatever it is, maybe. 20, maybe there's another 20 classes that they teach. And we work every day to not just teach martial arts, but to teach character development. Like I said before, we try to find ways that we can, um, you know, take the skill sets and use the the punches and the kicks and the blocks to also relate to life and how we can apply that to the personal development, the self-improvement, the mindset development, and kind of make it a holistic kind of uh, lesson plan curriculum and, and develop everybody this way. So that's kind of a day in the life, you know, Monday through, you know, Monday through Thursday, that's how that is Friday. There's not as many classes. It's usually like 3.30 to 7.30, a little shorter on Fridays. Sometimes we have special events, parents night out events. Uh, we'll do whatever, like dodgeball nights or just fun events for the parents to, you know, drop the kids off and we'll watch them. And then Saturdays, it's usually 9 a.m. to about 12.30 p.m. And then we'll do birthday parties afterward for kids that want to have like specially themed martial arts parties and whatever. So that's kind of like a day in the life if, if that is helpful. And um, yeah, I guess that would be a good place to stop.
Well, it is. It's a good segue. I'm going to hog the next question as well. Uh, your most recent guide slash book, you call it a guide. I mean, I, yes. I think it is a guide. Yeah. I, I post my stay consistent tweet every day and yep, I you, remember. you practice and preach it more than almost anybody I know. Talk, mm. talk about your new guide. I'll, I'll talk about it with them after we're done. Cause, cause I, I read it and I use it still. Uh, mm. How consistency is greater than intensity. That's, that was in the title. If I'm not. Yeah, you nailed it. Nailed yeah. it. So talk about your latest guide. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, segue. So like I said before, I took a lot of the things I've been writing about and thinking about and talking about, uh, captured them. And I wanted to create a guide that was, you know, that was easy to read digitally. I didn't want to have to go through publishers and figure out how to get a book published. I didn't want to do anything complicated, just simple, right? So essentially took a bunch of these uh, little lessons. Um, I made them fit onto one page and then uh, coupled it with uh, an image. And I had a friend of mine um, was doing a lot of the digital artwork. So if you imagine a page and then there's an image on one side and a meditation on the other side, and it's about 280 words. It's pretty short. It's a short one page meditation. At the bottom, there's a challenge that coincides with the meditation to kind of give you an application strategy. So the what the idea with this guide that um, coach was just talking about is um, how important consistency is, right? And in today's world, in the modern world, there's a big emphasis on hustle, right? And hustle culture and doing it faster and stronger and, and this kind of thing. But one of the thought processes that you know I'm trying to convey in this guide is, is that if you want to go far, it's not about going fast, right? Fast is how you go short, right? But if you want to go far, you want to go slower. Um, I recently was challenged to do a, an ultra marathon. I was at Burning Man. I don't know if you guys know what Burning Man is, but I was there and I was, uh, you know, with a, uh, a group of people and I was having a conversation with one of the guys there. And he said, you know, I was kind of just casually getting to know him and asking, I was like, so what do you got planned for tomorrow? Any, you know, anything fun planned, whatever. And he said, oh yeah, I'm doing the ultra. And I was like, the ultra, you're doing, you're doing the ultra marathon at Burning Man. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, do the ultra and, you know, whatever. And I was like, how far is that? And he said, 50 K. And I said, how far is 50 K? He said, 50, 31 miles about. And I was like, you know, I've done a marathon before, but you know, I, I couldn't do anything more than a marathon. That's, that sounds pretty ridiculous. Um, you know, I remember how tired and exhausted I was at the end of the marathon. I was dead and I was pretty much arguing for my own limitations. And he was so relaxed about all of my counterpoints, right? He was just kind of like, yeah, you know, but the ultra is only a few miles more like, you know, a, a marathon's 26, the ultra is 31. Like it's just a few miles more. And so I was like, yeah, but you know, I'm not, I didn't train for this. Like I, you know, I, I didn't get ready for this ultra marathon. Like I'm, and he's like, yeah, well, you don't have to finish it. You can do what you can just see what you can make happen. And I was like, yeah, but I don't have the right shoes. Like I'm not really. And he was like, well, you don't, you just do what you can, you know, and there's no big deal. I'll help you and blah, blah. So I was like, all right, whatever, I'll try it. And, you know, long story short, um, I ended up running this, this ultra marathon, um, at Burning Man and he finished an hour ahead of me. It took me just under seven hours to finish this thing. If you guys can imagine running for seven hours at a pace that's so slow. I mean, I swear I was just going a pinch above walking, but the thing about it is that I finished, right? I got past that finish line. And I got there not because I was running fast, because I'm telling you right now, if I started out fast or a sprint, 
I would I wouldn't have finished. There's no way. There's zero chance I would have finished that. Like I mean, I was like power walking. Like I mean, that's the speed I was going at because it was 31 miles. I mean, it's no joke. So the analogy here is that it's the same with life, right? A lot of us are told that we have to do things really hard, really fast. We have to be really strong about it. But I I have so many things in my life where the opposite is true. Like it's actually about doing it a little bit slower, a little bit lighter, and it's more about showing up and getting the thing regimented into your routine so that you can stay consistent with it long enough so that you can build it to become a subconscious thought process so that then it carries you forward. When I think about my exercise routine, like I don't, like I'm not waking up and I'm not doing like intense CrossFit workouts. It's not what I do. Like when I wake up, when I, when I do my workout in the morning, like I just did, I'm thinking about, you know, getting just maybe a little bit more than I did last time. So I'll have like three lifting sh- sessions with a little bit of a break in between. It's not super intense. It's more just about getting a good pump. I'll have two or three stretching sessions. I'll play basketball two, three times a week in addition to all my martial art training. And, you know, I try to find ways that I can make it enjoyable. I can sustain it for longer periods of time. I can get used to showing up um, and I can make it something that the process is taken into consideration. A lot of people ignore the process and think about the end destination. If you think too much about the end, you forget about the means, you become miserable. You start, you know, you start really doing things that make you, you know, just resent the practice and it's not a good long-term strategy. And as coach will tell you, I mean, some of the best things that you can accomplish in life come from sustained efforts, right? Small sustained efforts over long periods of time. And so that's essentially what this guide tries to do. It's 30 meditations. There's 15 meditations that talk about getting your mindset right. And then there's uh, 15 meditations that talk about how you can um, adopt the right strategies and how you can actually apply this with the right, you know, movements in life. Um, and that's the idea. That's the idea with the guide. And and the idea from this point is to create similar guides that answer similar questions, but can help people, you know, develop themselves in better ways for whatever it is they're trying to accomplish in their lives. That's awesome. You know, I'm a fan and a believer. And like I said, I, I have it pulled up on the screen. I'm going to show the students the guide when we're done, not to waste any. Yeah, for sure. But I've got to backpedal for a minute. I've heard about Burning Man forever because I have family in Reno. uh, Oh, okay. So you know all about it then, yeah. Yeah, they used to – one – my cousin has his pilot's license, and they used to fly a small plane, and I guess they they make a runway there. So tell the the kids about that. It's basically a desert that they turn into a city with thousands of people, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Burning Man is super interesting. So um, it's not a festival, um, which is what a lot of people think it is. Like, it's not like a Coachella or like a Tomorrowland or anything like that. It's a, it's a, it's almost like a temporary experiment in societal living. So if you imagine, um, you know, people coming together and, you know, um, essentially building this place to live for a week in the middle of the desert that kind of operates on its own kind of principles so that you can experiment with this unique way of kind of existing, right? And so, so essentially, the way it works now in today's in today's like age, because of how much um, time Burning Man has had to establish itself. Imagine seventy thousand people meeting up into the middle of this kind of desert, building a city, right? Because seventy thousand people is no joke. I mean, that's big. And then they take a week to build a city. Then the 70,000 people enjoy the city for a week and then they take it all down and then they get rid of everything so that there's no trace left. Now, 
when you're in the city itself, like the, the guiding principles, I actually have them right here. I was uh, writing about them. But the principles that Burning Man operates under is uh, one is radical inclusion. So they welcome everybody, right? So there's no, you don't have to be any kind of special person. You don't have to be any kind of whatever. Everybody's welcome to join. Gifting, this is interesting. So there's no monetary exchange. There's no money. There's no buying anything. The only thing they sell actually is ice because ice in the middle of the desert is super necessary, right? So uh, the only thing they sell is ice, but you can't buy anything else. Um, you don't barter either. Everybody comes to the desert, brings a little bit more than they need, and everybody just gives, gives everything away. Like everything that they have that's extra away to help other people. So they set tents up, they set camps up, and these camps will feature different things. Some people will give away free classes. Some people will give away free drinks or free um, like saunas or free. Like there's just so many, like 70,000 people giving away stuff for free that you just get to go around and enjoy. Um, Decommodization, right? So there's no branding. There's no celebritydom. There's no hierarchies. When people come in, they they kind of like like they want to like you to cover up the brands or like disguise the brand. So people will drive U-Hauls in and the U-Hauls are like taped up to say other things like U-Mall or something like this so that it's like completely rebranded so that there's no uh, commodization. Uh, radical self-reliance. You have to be able to you know survive in the desert by yourself without any gifts or help from other people. So you have to kind of like learn how to flex that muscle. Um, radical self-expression you can dress and do whatever you want um, as far as like self-expression or what you want to wear uh, communal effort so it's about you know building something together civic responsibility leaving no trace participation and immediacy it's about you know being in the moment and enjoying this kind of like environment and this opportunity that otherwise you know doesn't really exist in a lot of the you know modern world so it's a super interesting experience it could be whatever you want it to be like there's because there's so many people there um there's you know a ton of great like shows like a lot of edm stuff uh there's a ton of great like you know kind of meditative self-restorative practice stuff so if you're looking to do like a uh just a uh, a personal kind of renewal you can go in and you can do like you know yoga meditation um you can do different like retreat style stuff but you can also you know do the edm scene the dancing party scene you can go and have a great time in that front you can just meet a bunch of people. You can go to different camps and just mingle and, you know, kind of, you know, there's a whole bunch of like little mini bars that they're just giving away free stuff. And it's just crazy. It's just such a unique and interesting experience. There's nothing like it. And uh, it's such a great way to meet people. So I guess that's a Burning Man gist. And um, it's a really, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> what Was the mud as bad as they said it was in the news? At the time, yes. But the... Because, okay, so it's not really a desert. It's a, it's a lake bed. So it's not sand. It's like an alkaline dust. And because it's an alkaline dust and it's a lake bed, when the rain hit, the rain doesn't go through. It kind of sits on top. And then it just mixes with this kind of alkaline dust. And it turns into almost like a cement mix. And so if you can imagine stepping in cement mix, that's what it felt like. So you're walking around in your shoes. And there's like 10 pounds of just crap, like mud, stuck to your feet. And so people were trying to leave and imagine cars driving in cement mix. That's why it was kind of like a big deal at the time. However, the rain happened like two days before the event ended, right? And so 70,000 people were not stranded in the desert, right? The only people that were stranded were the ones that were trying to leave before the event ended. So that was like less than 5%, right, of the people. 
Um, and the people that tried to leave definitely got stuck and they caused problems, right? Just because of how bad that situation was. However, because we were in a desert kind of setting, when the rain or when the sun came out, I don't know if you guys saw that rainbow, but the rainbow was unbelievable. Uh, when the when the sun came out, it dried everything up. And within 24 hours, the whole lake bed was dry again and everybody could drive and leave. No problem. So it was zero issue after about 24 to 48 hours after the rain finished. And the, the amount of rain we got was less than one inch. It was less than one inch of rain. So there was no torrential anything. It was literally okay. just because it was the lake bed. That's it. Yeah, it wasn't quite portrayed that way. Uh, that's par for the course. That's a good hey, lesson uh, in media. Where, yeah, that's a whole nother Zoom. Uh, yes, it is. Where can they find you? On Twitter, of course, I've showed them. Yeah, on Twitter, I, I don't usually, I mean, I, I'm I'm not really consistent on Twitter right now, but uh, the blog I write to daily is probably the best place. It's uh, matthogan.blog. I mean, that's that's where I'm most consistent. So M-A-T-T-H-O-G-A-N, matthogan.blog, B-L-O-G. And that's where I put out my one-minute daily writings. And um, I'm not really that active on socials right now. Um, you know, I'll log on in the morning on Twitter and just like coaches tweet. That's about it. <laughs> and then I'll, um, you know, check on just you know, what a few other people are doing. I still do uh, like a weekly space, but um, I'm, I'm thinking about getting a little bit more active again. I've just, you know, separate, I put a boundary up to a little bit of the social media stuff. So I'm able to focus more on the writing and that kind of practice. So that's the best place to find me, matthogan.blog. I link to a couple other things there. And um, yeah. You're one of the best space hosts. I mean, I haven't listened to you in a while, but that's kind of how we first met. Is that still yeah. Friday? Is that still Friday at noon with Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friday, yeah. So we got a Friday for Friends space. So um, that one was kind of built on the idea that, like, you know, let's just have a space, a live audio call that has no agenda, and let's just right. hang out, see who shows up, have a chat, and uh, just meet people. And it was really cool. We've been building it. Actually, you know what, Coach? This Friday. At noon is our two-year, two-year anniversary of running this space every Friday. And, no way. Um, That's yeah. consistency. Yeah. So every Friday at noon, me and Mike have been hosting it. Um, we got a crew of like maybe eight people that show up religiously, and it's a super, it's a super cool vibe. Um, one of the things about live audio that's super underrated is that it really helps you get to know people in a way that um, yeah. a lot of other media doesn't, right? Because it's when it's live audio you're essentially, you're getting to meet the person's mind before you get to meet the person's body, if that makes sense. Like before you see any kind of visual reference, before you have any kind of judgments, you're literally just getting to meet the person's brain and you're having, you know, that brain interaction, no visuals, and you're really finding the people that you connect with on a different plane. And so that's why I was draw I was so drawn to live audio and I would highly recommend it because of that, because of that. And I think that, you know, as soon as you add the video into the picture, the whole dynamic changes, the whole dynamic changes. Yeah. So big fan of live audio. And yeah, I still do that every Friday. That's a good time. One of these Fridays, I'll have our afternoon class come on. It would be great. You know, Mike and yeah, I would love to have you. Class goes from 12 to two. So that would be perfect. And anything that distracts them from me is a good thing. So yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> well, hey, as, me, as me and Mike can provide a good distraction. <laughs> as always, Matt says hi, by the way. Yes, tell him I say, hey. Yeah, sometimes he just pops in the classroom, but he couldn't make it today. So yeah. uh, what do we say? And, and if you saw them writing, they have these blue booklets. Every single time they connect with another human being, they write their name, where they can find them, and they take notes. So I've created it. – it's like, it's like an old-fashioned Rolodex kind of. 
Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Taking them back. Yeah, taking them back. Hey, thanks, Matt. Until next time. Yeah, appreciate you. Thanks so much, Coach. Thanks, everyone, for your yep. attention. Hope that was enjoyable for you. It was awesome. Thanks. All right. See you guys later. Yep. Bye.